Hello, Happy New Year and welcome back to Podcasting is Praxis. I'm David, my pronouns are he and him. I'm James and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Jamie and my pronouns are he, him. Uh, I'm Rob and mine are he, him. I'm Alistair and mine are he and him. Awful lot of he's and him's in tonight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Representing yeah, the tragic. diversity of Great Britain. Here we go. Mm. <laughs> yeah, this is um, this is yet another uh, demonstration of why this podcast should be cancelled, etc. But never mind. Never mind. Um, we've survived another year. It is now 2022 somehow. And I think really, I mean, is there anything we really want to cover that has happened? Rob, do the, you have anything the that tree we of talk death. about? <laughs> oh, dude, yeah. Tell us about the tree of death, Jamie. I bet I've lost the fucking tweet now, have I? Hang on. BAE, BAE systems have developed a new chemical weapon. <laughs> All right, yeah, biological, so I, surely. So I closed the BAE, I, tree pl- the BAE tree planting scheme has gone slightly sideways. <laughs> so I closed, I closed Twitter, but the gist was a guy at a hospital in America. Turned up to work on Christmas Day wearing an inflatable Christmas tree costume to, to spread cheer, and it turned out he had COVID. And the the blower in the Christmas tree costume that was keeping it inflated gave COVID to forty three other people that he works with. <laughs> and it, it, it and Rob is one of those people. Yeah. yeah. And what's what's doubly great about it as well is the costume looks like a fucking serial killer. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> I mean, depending on how many people, you know, depending how they do with the COVID, it might actually be a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, looking like a fucking Mr. Blobby knockoff, which we were absolutely losing our shit over prior, just prior to recording. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Can you imagine, though? Can you imagine Mr. Blobby's Wario? <laughs> <laughs> so look, it's probably just a fucking accountant. It's Nick. Nick is Nick is Mr. Blobby's Wario. You hear that, Nick? We're calling you out at last. Except surely he'd be called something like Doddy or something like that. <laughs> no, Doddy, I mean, the whole thing about the whole thing about Wario is it's the inverted M, right? So what's he in you invert a B, you just get a B. I mean right? they fucking they just like bin that straight off for uh for fucking Waluigi though, didn't it? <laughs> No, I'm I, I just. I, I can't stop thinking <laughs> of, Mr, of being in bed with Mr. Blobby and him saying, Call me Mr. Doddy. <laughs> <laughs> Call me Doddy. Oh. Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah. Mm. So, the, bit, the first big news announcement of the New Year is we've rebranded as a Mr. Blobby sex podcast. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Blobby, come on this podcast, please. Uh, <laughs> how are you scribe? How are you spelling come on that one? Yeah. Oh, Whichever fuck. way your heart desires, Rob. Rob, please move us on to the, the actual organized yeah. news nuggets. So I, th- I was looking through a bunch of shit that happened over the break and I thought, oh, we do a news roundup. But then I caught this thing and it's too good not to sort of do it in, do it greater They're justice. They're calling it blobby fever. <laughs> there was, a, there was a, a recent court case in, in Los Angeles uh, where two LA police officers were fired from their job for, uh, at the police force for gross negligence or something and they were suing the city to get their jobs back 
And because this was in court, the records were unsealed for everybody to read. So I just want to tell you what happened. Um, I'll read you a little bit from the report. On Saturday, April 15, 2017, the two uh, fired officers were working as partners assigned to a foot division uh, of the LAPD. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a busy Saturday. There were more calls than police cars available. And there were mm -hmm. um, and there was a robbery homicide in progress. Um, weirdly enough, the two officers who were very nearby did, act did not turn up to the call. And one of the local captains actually saw the two of them not running towards the robbery homicide <coughs> in a mall, but literally walking swiftly the other way and getting into a car and driving off. <laughs> I, I, I strongly, I, I really don't believe for a second that this, uh, the guy who saw the, the two cops like not going towards the crime actually had a fucking problem with it. No, no, this, he was a police captain. He's, he's cited yeah, a name in, in okay. the report. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure he says that now. So the police captain sees this police car next to the robbery site that's not responding, and instead immediately leaves the area, claiming an urgent call with their very own to which they had to respond. Uh, after meeting with the two fired officers, the, their commanders were weirded out, wondered what they were doing, and decided to check the digital in-car video system to see what the officers were actually doing on that Saturday. So, what what were they actually up to? And this is where it gets really good. Let me read you again from the court documents. After carefully listening to the video system recording um, a number of times, the, the detective also became concerned that the two fired officers were playing the Pokemon Go video game while on duty no. of the robbery. <laughs> <laughs> The recording showed that at approximately 6.09 p.m., just five, uh, five minutes after Fire Officer 1 said, screw it, to checking in with the uh, HQ about the robbery call, um, the, the other officer alerted the first officer that a Snorlax had just popped up. <laughs> <laughs> officer Mitchell suggested a different route, then told uh, Officer Lozano, we've got four man minutes to get it. <laughs> There's also an amazing footnote here. According to evidence admitted to the court, to, uh, sorry, according to evidence admitted at the Board of Rights hearing, Snorlax is a Pokemon creature known as the Sleeping Pokemon. <laughs> oh, I'm glad that's that's codified in the legal system. Though. That's good. For I actually think it was quite poor show of them, though. They, they should have hung about at that robbery homicide because had they waited much longer, they would have got a ghost-type Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> For, for approximately the next 20 minutes, the uh, onboard video system captured the two officers discussing Pokemon as they drove to different locations where the virtual creatures appeared on their mobile phones. <laughs> on their way to the Snorlax location, Officer Mitchell alerted Officer Lozano that a Tegetic had just popped up. Oh, the most surprising part of this whole ordeal is the fact that either of these guys faced any consequences whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After Officer Mitchell apparently caught the Snorlax, exclaiming, Got him! <laughs> the two officers agreed to go get the Degetic and drove off. When their car stopped again, the video system recorded Officer Mitchell saying, don't run away, don't run away. While Officer Lozano described how he buried it and ultra-balled the Tegetic before announcing, got him. <laughs> I've got to say, oh. one of my favorite, one of my favorite, like, less frequent recurring bits on this podcast is Rob trying to pronounce Pokemon names. <laughs> <laughs> 
Na- to be fair, nailed is, Snorlax. Um, is Billy Elliot a Pokemon? <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell advised that he was still trying to catch it, adding, holy crap, man, this thing is fighting the crap out of me. <laughs> Eventually, Officer Mitchell exclaimed, holy crap, finally, apparently in reference to capturing the Tegetic, and he remarked, the guys are going to be so jealous. The two officers oh. then returned to the 7-Eleven, where Sergeant Goldberg later met them, to end their watch. On the way, Mitchell remarked, I got, got you a new Pokemon today, dude. <laughs> the saddest part about this is that they put all that hard work in, only to be told that they had to hand in their gun and gym badges. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've heard of defund the police, but, like, you know... <laughs> Getting the police hooked on Pokemon Go is an unorthodox way to like end their crimes, but sure, okay. I'm here for it. Critical support to uh, the developers of Pokemon Go. <laughs> now, this is a uh, a fair and a balanced uh, podcast, so I shall also give you the critical parts oh, no. of the defense of the two officers in question. <laughs> okay, right, I'm actually here for this. Yes, let's go. The two officers also denied playing Pokemon Go while on duty. They claimed they were, mon- they were monitoring a Pokemon tracker application on their phone, but not playing the game <laughs> itself. <laughs> Actually, it's not uh, it's not Pokemon Go unless it's from the fucking Game Freak region of Japan. <laughs> Otherwise, they're just sparkling creatures. Uh, <laughs> as for catching in brackets Pokemon, Officer Lozano insisted that this Wait, was sorry, po- it, catching in brackets. Why is the Pokemon in brackets? No, catching is just in brackets. Um, as for okay. catching. As for catching Pokemon, Officer Lozano insisted this referred to capturing an image of the Pokemon on the tracking application to share with friends. While Officer Mitchell said his statements about fighting the Tegetic referred to relaying that information to the groups on my app, adding that in order to take the picture, occasionally the creature will fight. (laughs) Okay, but why? Why are they like... Do you get less fired from the police if you're like if you're not playing the official Pokemon Go or something? I don't understand what the fuck this defense was about. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> Officer Lozano said they were not engaged in the game; rather, it was a social media event. <laughs> and does that does that make a difference? Do you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't playing a game; I was on Facebook. <laughs> Officer Mitchell said he did not consider the application a game because it was not advertised as a game. This, this legal defense, this legal defense is like just basically they've gone into court and gone, they're not dolls, they're action figures, dad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally what I was thinking, Jamie, word for word. <laughs> it's not Polly Pocket, it's Mad Max, I'll have you know. Mighty Max even, fuck. All right, you know what I meant. I, I didn't, but okay. <laughs> oh well, yeah. I keep forgetting you're fucking as old as the tombs, Jamie. Uh, so I, I remember. When, I remember when they invented dirt. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all you had to play with, was it? <laughs> Andy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you eat before the dirt? <laughs> Breakfast. <laughs> Duh. Silly question. Oh. Anyway, move us on, Rob. 
the the two officers admitted leaving their foot uh, foot beat area in search of Snorlax, but they insisted they did so both as part of an extra patrol and this is my favorite line in the whole bit to chase this mythical creature. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even a mythical fucking Pokemon. Come on, fuck guys. (laughs) To be fair, they probably did like net less harm by not turning up to the fucking robbery. The mythical yeah, creature probably, yeah. the mythical creature they're chasing is a unicorn but it's got like job security written on the side of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's one for the Ben Garrison fans. <laughs> <laughs> Police chasing around a bunch of Pokemon with a label cum written on the side of him. <laughs> oh dear. Do you think there's some way we could engineer things so that Ben Garrison Drew Mr. Blobby. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, uh, David, sadly for the two officers, the appeals court affirms the verdict and the discharged officers are mandated to pay court costs uh, for the city and the police force as well as for their own time. So unfortunately, the chase of a mythical creature defense is still is not quite enough to keep your jobs. So so does that mean we actually have a monetary value for a Snorlax now? (laughs) (laughs) See... This is actually amazing they haven't turned Pokemon into NFTs yet, because that's such an obvious connection. Well, it's because Nintendo would sue the fucking shit out of them. Well, (laughs) please don't lay fists, Rob. Please just don't. Can you not? Like, I've been thinking for a while that, like, you know, all it needs is some fucking childhood kind of, I don't know, fucking... uh, pocket monsters or pokemon or pogs or something being nfts and there's a whole generation of people just no it's not gonna happen i'll tell you why because if it's an nft there can only be one version of it and nintendo is allergic to releasing anything less than two versions of a pokemon at the same time (laughs) checks out i mean look uh, you know i'm not sure that that's entirely relevant anyway because uh, according to our new friends on uh, crypto land uh, mental maturity will be more than enough to uh, cover oh. Age of Consent. <laughs> Are we there's, already, there's already a non-silent, guys. You can't, you can't <laughs> make a new one. <laughs> yeah. We've got non-silent at home. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and we were here first. <laughs> Maybe the only way to lift the curse is to pass it on. So have you ever thought about that? <laughs> <laughs> I, like, oh. gen- serious question. Are we going to do an episode on... The crypto island at some point because uh, I think maybe, it's got honestly, potential. If, Are we going to wait if, for them all trash... to be arrested first? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if Trash Future honestly doesn't beat us to it, which is not entirely unlikely, but you know who knows? <laughs> okay, stay um, tuned, anyway. listener. Yeah, we yeah, may yeah. have such sights to show you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, before we get onto the uh, main topic, though, uh, first a uh, warm pod congratulations to the four. Uh, to the Colston Four, who were acquitted by a jury after successfully arguing they had a lawful excuse for pulling down the statue of a fucking slaver. So, hooray yep. to them. Please exactly. be upstanding for the national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, this is like a rare example of like uh, a nationwide event that, uh, you know, the press of gone absolutely ham on that you know and justice has actually fucking been served but 
maybe for the moment, because um, I saw something the other day saying that uh, whatever the fucking uh, minister is for, for justice or I think or something the attorney general, something like that, is going to try and um, appeal this because obviously if it's uh, an outcome that the, the Tories don't like, then it's not justice, which, you know, is yeah. not uh, yeah, yeah. entirely surprising given but their attitude to everything else in like all the other institutions in, in the UK. Yeah, so um, I think it's Attorney General, isn't yeah, it? Am I recalling correctly? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and she can't actually appeal it. So the way it works is, if the Attorney General thinks that there is a question of law that needs to be clarified, she can refer it to the higher courts, but not to actually affect the verdict. It, she can't affect the verdict by doing yeah. this. It's oh, so trying to prevent clarify. something like this from happening again, basically. Well, here's the thing. She can't, right? Because there's not actually an ambiguity in law here. Um, that's the problem. The, what happened was the judge briefed the jury very clearly on the three different defences that would apply under the law in this circumstance. And it was very routine. It's very well-established case law. And the jury listened to this and then came to a conclusion which they ruled based on that briefing. And there's no, there's not a clarity required here. There's not a, oh, do you know, where does, like, there's, there's nothing there, which is, is actually, you know, credit to them. A lot of legal profession have come out and go, you know, they've all come out and went, there's, there's nothing to do here. There's, there's no, there is no ambiguity in law. This is yeah. all very settled. The jury reached a verdict in line with the legal briefing they were given by the judge, which is bog standard and happens like hundreds of times a year. Because it's at the end of the day, it's a case of property destruction, of which there are three different defences. And um, yeah, there you know, are there are a number of what are known as lawful excuses. Uh, three of them were invoked, and the jury found them as well. Is uh, the right to free speech, uh, right to conscience, and that a conviction uh, upheld with regards to the statute, would interfere with the right to free speech and right to conscience. And they were also claiming, which I think the jury upheld as well, that they were preventing a crime in the sense that the statute still being up in the first place was to be considered a crime. So, yes. you know. That was um, the main one, um, actually, that they, yeah. they, they carried it off. And I've got to say, like, fucking fantastic comrades. Just, like, I'm surprised you managed to get it passed, but you've you've demonstrated that these statues being up are, in fact, like... The, the defense of tearing them down because they are hate crimes uh, is is now at least partially in law. Well, I mean, uh, uh, you know, there is there is there is some body of precedent now that others can point to. Well, so, I should add a massive coda to this that the uh, current police crime and sentencing bill, which is going through parliament parliament at the moment and will become law because the Tory seven eighty seat majority uh, would in the future let courts consider. Uh, quote unquote emotional or wider distress and increase the sentence to 10 years regardless of any actual damage done to a monument Fuck. so you know it holds for now but you know in a couple months you're going to be fucked if you try this again so get your work done early in England and Wales <laughs> reminder this law change does not apply to Scotland <laughs> just yeah. seeing Podcasting as practices is in no way suggesting that you should go around Edinburgh with a hammer. 
<laughs> no, we're saying you should pull the statues from England and Wales in like, across the border before you fucking like chuck them in a river. <laughs> <laughs> the Clyde can't flow for all the fucking racist statues that are just stacked on top of each other. I mean, you can't. The Clyde can't fucking flow at the best of times. Have you seen what's in it? But. <laughs> Uh, oh. Yeah, so so congrats to to those guys, um, and yeah, I mean, as we just said, like all the Tory headbangers are coming out and saying, actually, uh, a jury verdict is also bad because it doesn't reflect the true spirit of the people. After earlier branding um, judges, unelected judges, also the enemies of the people. So I'm not sure who really is now supposed to administer justice. I mean, apart from mobs incited by the Daily Mail, of course. There was that line in the Guardian where they just happened to casually point out that juries have an absolute right to acquit, and it's like. If everyone in this country knew that juries have an absolute right to acquit, that they can always find someone not guilty, the entire thing would basically fall over because all the unjust laws on the books would basically die and become unenforceable. And they kind of know this. They kind of like, this is where they're they're coming out going, oh, the the jury isn't reflective. It's like, yeah, the jury isn't going along with our hateful program, basically. And they're aware that if this catches on, and if more people realise, oh, we can just not convict people when they do obviously cool and good shit, then a lot of the things that uh, currently rely on the force of the courts um, will just stop to be, will stop to have precedent. Can you imagine if juries in the UK just stopped convicting on drug offences? Just straight up refuse to convict on it? No. If you ever get called up for jury duty and you really don't want to do it, just say in the selection part that you're fully aware of the absolute right to quit. Guarantee you get the day off. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but that's not a joke that's true in america if you mention jury nullification which is what this is it's just the american term for it then they are uh, they absolutely will disbar you and they'll take you out of the role for future juries right so same thing here i mean to be fair in america and, and probably here as well they will take you out of the running for sitting in a jury for absolutely nothing whatsoever or, you know, don't mention that you know of this right, and then make sure the whole jury you sit on becomes ungovernable. That is also something <laughs> Be Jamie in the courtroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, never, I've never been called upon for jury duty. And it would, it would be so I. much fun. I would love to see a remake of 12 Angry Men, but with Jamie as, <laughs> like, the dissenting voice. <laughs> oh, I love that film, like, you know what I mean? It's great. It's a great fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, talking about um, great things, let's talk about less than great things. Yeah, well, um, I wanted to talk today for our main story about um, Captain Tom, because I... He's back! (laughs) Well, he's not really going away, or more his his foundation isn't going away, about which much more later... Um, but first, like, before we get started on this, um, like, a big caveat, while there's, like, a lot of weird stuff going on, particularly when it comes to the cultural sphere in which every Captain Tom thing took place, um, this podcast does not and will not be shitting on the people who either participated in or gave to Captain Tom-related things because they did something nice or because they wanted to give some money to the NHS, we should be extremely clear on on that. Also, we are not impugning the motives of Captain Tom himself when he did these things, because he, from everything I've read, seems like a perfectly lovely old man who genuinely wanted to do something nice. So while the foundation is very weird, um, see what, see what I'm all... what I'm what I'm hearing when you say all of that is that I should probably just get a book to read. 
for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> you know what I mean? that, feels, that feels very targeted. I don't know. It's fine. There's lots for you to shit on still. Are we Trust me, the scope of this is wide enough. Are we going to talk about how British Airways put them on a fucking flight with Tree Thrax the Reaper? Among other things, yeah. Fucking like, you know what I mean? Three rows behind them, just a Christmas tree spraying fucking COVID out the top. (laughs) (laughs) The Barbados COVID volcano, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, specifically, two things that caught my eye, which is why we're talking about this over the Christmas break, is the first thing is the um, that the Captain Tom Extended Universe family um, conveniently finding a last mystery present from the captain. Right before Christmas. Exactly. I just pictured like an episode of 24 where the fucking like the big dramatic thing at the end of the episode is like Jack Bowers on a plane and there's a fucking Christmas tree shooting fucking like a baller at the top and he just runs up he just runs up and bites the end shut to fucking like save all the passengers. <laughs> No, that's the start of the new episode. Like the last thing with the twenty-four, you know, when they have the clock counting down, is like they will just pan behind Jack Bauer's shoulder. You see this Christmas tree coming into view. Oh, uh, so yeah, Baby. that's like anyway. So the as I said, the extended universe family finds a last mystery present from the captain right before Christmas, and also incidentally right before the Captain Tom Foundation launches itself properly a few days later. So I'm sure those things are not connected at all. Was um, the and the was other- the, um, was the mystery Christmas present instructions on how to launch a fed- uh, foundation? <laughs> no, it was some book of inspirational quotes or something or other. I can't remember what the what the what the cre- present ended up being. Um, what was the, the uh, was the first line? Inspirational quotes for starting a foundation in three days. Yeah, <laughs> like I just, I just, I'm just picturing the very first. It's like uh, the inspirational quotes of Captain Tom. Quote number one: There is nothing more patriotic than to give lots of money to the children running my foundation. <laughs> yeah. Kind of levels of you know. <laughs> And the other thing which I thought was even weirder was um, posted, I think, on Christmas Day, which is, according to the Captain Tom Foundation, here is the official Captain Tom gin gin cocktail recipe. Um, Naturally. Uh, Ingredients. I'd love to have a cocktail that's just named after the spirit that's in it. I'd love to have a vodka cocktail. No, I'm just picturing him is is you know his children are like, don't worry, we found the golden plates that have the true record of Captain Tom's will, <laughs> and we're just we're going to look in this top hat and read them to you. <laughs> you know, no, you may not then, see the plates; they are only for the inner circle. <laughs> exactly. What's, like, what's just, this? Uh, what's this Prince Andrew plate doing in here? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to read. It's very small. Um, like, <laughs> Just, I just, is it is it is going from being mortuary cult to over time. Like, is this going to become like mortuary religion, basically, at this point? Uh, yeah, in a way. But, but about about the aims of the Captain Tom Foundation much more later. But first, let me give you the ingredient list because that's where it gets even more weird for the cap official Captain Tom gin cocktail recipe. All right, go on. Three parts Yorkshire Ram handcrafted gin brackets smooth, strong, and warm. So they're doing branded cocktails. What the fuck? Like, excellent. How do you handcraft gin? For, uh, Some guy like trying to fucking work gin hands. on a lathe. Do you know what I mean? Like, what? <laughs> um, herbs from Burma, turmeric, sweet basil. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I must not speak. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, one part the king's ginger liquor, brackets, strength and remembrance. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is, this is, is it the sac- same flavour of remembrance as that um, grenade-shaped fucking vodka or whatever it was that like, <laughs> was with oh, that the British Legion was flogging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, it was the British Legion, this is, yeah. This is, a, this is a fucking sacramental gin. We, t- <laughs> we take this alcohol because it is the essence of remembrance, kind of, you know. This, you know, this, wafer, James, this like- wafer represents the bones of slain children. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's bold because I don't think I've ever had an experience with gin that has improved my memory. I feel like the whole the whole saga of Captain Tom, like the as in like Captain Tom, the like essentially media figure rather than the actual man himself, is both perfectly emblematic of a Britain that both exists and doesn't exist because it's. You know the entire the entire reason that he's entered like the British cultural psyche is because um, you know walking up and down his garden for, to raise money for the NHS, which is, a, you know it. It's it's lovely. To, it's a pointless exercise. Yeah, it's it's meant to represent what you know what a Tory Britain in the twenty first century wants to think of itself as, which is like. Uh, philanth- like philanthropy uh, driving like the social good when. In the reality of it is that charity cannot and should not be used to uh, be administered to like the you know public services, and it is also very funny that on the other hand, he uh, Captain Tom and his legacy represents the actual reality of Britain with a fucking tedious series of products licensed under his name post- uh, posthumously for the most part. And I think yeah, I think the term you're reaching for there, Alistair, is nostalgia grifters. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I hate to borrow a word from Trash Future, but it's fucking hauntology of a Britain that didn't yes. exist and hasn't existed, but also uh, the actual reality that we live in, which is this just yeah, like nostalgia. Uh, like here's the thing, like a hauntology, like Trash Future don't have a monopoly on hauntology. <laughs> Get ready for my next blank thoughts, everyone. Um, <laughs> And like, yeah, it's like it, th- that's it, though. It's um, this is what Britain does. The empire died, and we're living in the dream of its, the dead dream of its future that never was, kind of thing. Oh, yeah. it's better that than that, the- though. It's better yeah. than that because it's a warped version of it that just gets faster and faster every time until we infinitely live in a, an infinitesimally small point of it. This is Cap- the whole Captain Tom bit, and everything that surrounds it is it's a Winston Churchill speedrun. <laughs> yeah, we, like, we, there's we, a we, crisis we, we're all going through, and everyone was very brave, and we all rallied around this one guy, and then we just conveniently skipped the parts where everyone yeah. fucking hated him, and then he died, and it was really sad. So now we just need to kind of condense that further and compress it until that's the only singular moment that we ever live in. Yeah, I don't know. Was did, did was Captain Tom in favour of uh, gassing like Arabs, and you know, no one but, ever asked him. Yeah, this is not recorded. So. <laughs> it's true. I, I am willing to bet no one ever asked Captain Tom that question, and that is why I don't have an answer for you. I'm being as objective and honest to the truth as I can. And I think it's also interesting that, like, the Captain Tom thing came. It came after the clap for carers business, right? Like we sort yes. of yes. we sort of exhausted our ways of, you know, going outside and banging something together, which was 
whatever. It was a it was an empty gesture, but I suppose it was it was nice enough. So you know, in I don't, fairness, that was actually illegal at that point. But like the the, the quest, like it, it something had to <laughs> had to take its place because like we did the clap for carers and then we were on lockdown again, and obviously we couldn't go back to the thing that we were doing before because we need something new to like excite our overstimulated brain. So I think part of it was also. You know, here was something that you didn't just do, but like because we are such a consumerist and capitalist society, now you know, not only was the here was here an old man, it was also you could give money, and you know, Alistair, as you said, like the NHS should never be reliant on charities, like it's ridiculous, but like now we could show our appreciation for the NHS, and the only way that you can show appreciation or like love for something in modern society, which is to give money in exchange for some weird like you couldn't just give it like there was there was like a challenge element as well like he had to shuffle um 10 laps a day office mortal coil yeah no no (laughs) (laughs) i mean no but like you know there was like it's it's it it sort of built on all this ridiculous challenge stuff that you see in a lot of charities is you know it's like give me money to run the london marathon or give me money to do x yeah actually can i take can i take a moment i've always hated this i've always hated this growing up this idea sponsor me to do something fun to raise money for charity i fucking hate right I, I can sort of understand the humiliation ones where it's like sponsor me and i'm gonna get like my hair all shaved off and yeah you're gonna get you know, gunged, have a laugh and, yeah yeah like that can i can sort of understand that <laughs> go on right? go on nickelodeon's get your own back for like a million quid <laughs> yeah, we don't, that, we don't that, need it, to go on nickelodeon's get your own back we've got Norse house party at home <laughs> yeah. but, if i raise a hundred pounds i will let mr blobby kick me in the nuts <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. It's like it's like I am willing to debase myself for charity, so the least you can do is is give them money, sort of thing. I can sort of get that, but the ones where it's like, yeah, I'm doing a sponsored skydive for charity, it's like, fuck off, mate. I'm not I'm not paying for it. because the fact that nine times out of ten, the cost of doing the thing is factored into the funds yeah. they're raising, and it's like, no, just this is absolute shit, and it's exactly the same energy as like all those clap for carers people who were doing performative bullshit on the doorstep. Like there was this one person who like her and her family were doing like a, a string quartet during the clap for carers. And it's like, that's about you. You're making this about you. Uh, yeah, right? There's some dickhead up here who would fucking play bagpipes every single fucking day. Or every, I mean, every fucking I, week like... or whatever it was. And it did my tits in. <laughs> I mean, James, the, in, in that context, you'll be happy to know that one of the things the Captain Tom Foundation was up to last year was sponsoring three people to London, run the London Marathon. Because that's... I know, and it's just like, it's like, great, you want to run a marathon? Great. I'm in favour of your self-improvement. Good on you. You want to use that as a reason why we should... Just, just fucking, just donate to charity. Just be like, just be the person with a clipboard who stops yeah. people in the streets. But I mean, no, you know, no, no, says, it, would you like it, to the, donate? The way, the way Britain works is, you're not allowed to do anything unless it has like, unless you have signed approval from like your fucking peers. Do you know what I mean? Yes. That's how. It's how everything. It's like why? Do you know what I mean? It's why like fucking. Do you know what I mean? Like British people love like dogging and shit because it's like you know. It's like, oh, we, we wanna we wanna go out and fucking in, in a car park somewhere, but we'd better make sure that like you know everyone that a crowd approves because otherwise we, we might consider ourselves perverts or something. Do you know what I mean? It's it's like all that shit. It's like all that shit on Facebook where it's like oh it's like fucking November or whatever. Just grow a fucking mustache. Do you know what I mean? If you want a mustache, just grow a mustache. You don't have to pretend you're doing it ironically. In case your mates laugh at you, just tell them to fuck off. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, but it's it's also it's this element of 
not only do they want to do something that's fun and good, but they want everyone to go, oh, you're so good and brave and bold. And aren't you a good person for doing this thing that you enjoy? Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, but in general, but I, I don't know, like... I'm not the Captain Tom Defender, but I will say that, you know... What... Captain Tom Defender has logged <laughs> yeah. on. Uh, no, but, like, in his case, he was a guy who's undergone several surgeries and had, like, at least one really shitty knee, and he was doing, like, 250 meters a day, which I think for him was really quite a stretch. Like, I'm not saying it's the same thing. I agree with you in general, but I do just want to say, like, purely... Like, everything that was built around Captain Tom and, like, the image of Captain Tom, mm-hmm. because he almost became, like, a tulpa for Britain in a way... But what he himself did, I'm not going to, like, count in the same Sorry. way. Sorry, Rob, you've now cursed me, and I'm just picturing some, like, 4chan nerd trying really, really hard to summon a tulpa of Captain <laughs> yeah. Tom to ease their loneliness. <laughs> the Captain Tom body pillow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> But I mean, it, I swear I think, I've seen that posted. <laughs> I, I think there had to be like it, it, you know, if you were looking for some like a tulpa f- for Britain under the, you know, under the strain of of sort of the the COVID lockdowns, you you almost like if you drew it up, like if you said who would be the sort of the cartoon figure to you know the the the, the, the character that would attract some of this attention, it would almost ha- have to be someone like Captain Tom, right? Because it's got all the neuroses of britain sort of bound up into it because he's a very upper middle class guy if you read his history it's world war ii it's vaguely you know it's empire because he was in in myanmar uh you know doing things um and <laughs> which will remain uncommented be, be, became like a, a manager later on and had a, has a very upper middle class family that now runs the captain tom foundation and like i think it almost would you'd have to get someone like this because what i also think is had um captain tom for example been uh afro-caribbean or something this would not have happened mm. oh, not a chance not a chance like I, I don't think that that's possible and what i found really interesting because i was pa- talking to my uh partner about it yesterday a little bit and what she said which i don't know if that's been your guys's experience but what she said and i can i can relate to that is that she said that of her friends the people who like posted about captain tom or said i've donated etc etc um they were older people who read the papers whereas the younger people who were like online and did facebook during lockdown they were all talking about like joe wicks or marcus rashford so they i don't know it's it, it's it's yeah, apocryphal kind of but like that there is because captain tom also couldn't exist without the media certainly without the papers in particular and the television like it's not captain tom so far as i know was not really an online thing i know there's the twitter account but i think what made it big was the papers and like the bbc breakfast shows like that kind of stuff right oh yeah he's certainly a beast of like uh like old school mainstream media yeah yeah stay stay tuned for the new update by noam chomsky uh manufacturing captain tom Yeah, I mean, obviously working for home and shit, I'd see a lot of fucking daytime TV all it was on. And fucking hell, you could not escape the guy. Yeah. Like, for months he was constantly on, or someone was on to talk about him, or how some other person had done a thing, but it had to be linked back to because they were inspired by Captain Tom. Yeah, well, this is... A, like Okay, like, so let's get... Let's actually tear into the root of Captain Tom here, all seriousness jokes aside for a minute. The real analysis of Captain Tom is in the form of manufacturing consent, the media's casting around looking for something that will fill the void of allowing them to distract the nation and allowing them to solidify and almost like reify, personify 
the no, in fact, not even personified, because it wasn't about the person of Captain Tom. It was about the idea of Captain yeah. Tom. He, he was like yeah. a thing, a prop, a reification. A reification is like an object that's a personification for anyone who doesn't know. Um, so, like, it's, it, you know, they were looking around, casting around, looking for something like that, and here comes this old geezer, and everyone likes the old geezers, and he's like a war veteran, everyone likes their war veterans, and he, World War Two. everyone likes the World War Two veterans, and he's doing something for the NHS, well, everyone loves the NHS, and like, you know, this this solidifies as like, oh, here is this perfect prop, and they proceeded yeah. to use him as a prop, and his family got in on it. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm going to just oh, we'll, we'll straight get, up we'll go, get into they, they that sold in a little out. bit, yeah, about his I mean, family. You're not wrong that it was like like a perfect storm of things Britain likes, but yeah. at the same time, like you know what I mean, it could have been it could have been literally you could have like literally fucking anything walking laps of a garden, like a sock with a couple of ping pong balls on it. No, I disagree. <laughs> you know I think no, I, I'm, look at that fucking wrong. look at that fucking shit that's Christmas number one for the past like four hundred years or however long it's been now, where they're just singing songs but with words changed to say sausage rolls. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean like fucking British, year, pe- British people are, as a nation, thick as shit. Quite frankly, like, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but if someone, if someone had jangled a bunch of keys around a garden every day for the NHS, it would have had like just as much impact. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing. Well, Captain Tom was basically a bunch of keys being jangled around the garden by the media, and his family, rather than protect him from this bullshit, they just fucking absolutely like well, turned why, him why into a commodity. They, why would they protect him from a good thing? Do you know what I mean? It's the yeah. best thing well, ever. Except it's it the best thing it, ever to it, be in the papers. Well, well, okay, yeah, fair. But I mean, they, you they, won't they, be saying that in a few weeks, Jamie. <laughs> they, they, they literally, they, I mean, they literally kind of got him killed with with the way they did this. Because if it hadn't been for the whole Captain Tom thing, he wouldn't have been on that fucking flight where he got the COVID. This is the, of, this is the know? part where um, I feel like he represents a Britain that doesn't exist because he faced literally any kind of like negative consequence for. The things that you do, whether, like, whether or not. Like... I mean, the thing is, like, I actually don't think Captain Tom did a, ne- did a negative thing. No. The problem is what st- what he did, which st- I, like, I'm I'm fully prepared to believe. Like Captain Tom goes, the NHS is in a bad way. I have to do something, so I'm going to do what little I can, and I can respect that. I can be, I can understand it. It's ridiculous that we have an NHS in that situation, but I understand the impulse. The problem was the papers cynically were like, we can use this. And his family let it happen, and worse than that, got on board with it and made a gravy train out. Yeah, yeah. this is this is why I made the distinction between the media confection of Captain Tom and yeah. Captain Tom. Yeah, the I mean, let me person. let me read you a little bit. There was a, uh, I mean, he did like a zillion interviews. But one of them, he talks a little bit about he, why he's doing it, and then the NHS. Um, he said mm-hmm. he says uh, when we started off with this exercise, we didn't anticipate we'd get anywhere near this much money. It's really amazing. All of them from top to bottom in the NHS, they deserve everything we can put in their place. They're all brave because every morning and night they're putting themselves to harm's way and you've got to give them full marks for their effort. Uh, The doctors, the nurses, they're all on the front line and all of us behind, we've got to supply them and keep them going with everything they need so they can do their job. I think like if you leave the guy just talking in his own words, of course, like it's very, you know, it's war metaphors and it's, you know, the, the, the language is very well geared to give your daily mail reader you know a, a good tickle but uh, again the man himself i have very little to no objection to what he did and why uh, he was doing it i think it's also worth mentioning that captain tom's like war phrasing all the stuff that goes with it captain tom is a product of the media too quite literally like the man because obviously he gets his ideas about how you know blitz spirit and all this kind of shit is the product of a, se- a long-running yeah. campaign of manufacturing consent 
So it's like the media over generation or so has produced this figure of Captain Tom, who's in who's believes sees the world in a certain way, and then the media then gets to pick this up and reuse it to further reinforce the narrative they've been spinning. But so it's like it, it fits into it's a cycle. But I also you know? think that he wouldn't have been as big. Maybe this is a stretch, but without Brexit, because I think for like no, the Brexit right, people, right. this is this is pure catnip. Like it's yes. all, it takes all the boxes of the thing, you know, the ideals of Britain that they say they love or presume to love, at least, you know, flag, fatherland, patriotism, not moaning, working hard, uh, you know, keep yeah, it's, calm, it's, carry again, on. As, uh, as we've established, it's it's a nostalgia for something yeah. that doesn't exist. Mm. But I don't think he would have gotten that this big without that, because, you know, again, talking to my partner about it like none of the people on her facebook and i i'm not on facebook anymore so i don't really know this stuff like all the people who are on facebook who were strong remain were much more about marcus rashford and joe wicks and 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 not mm. not nearly as much about captain tom but and maybe that's well, because it was a con- i think it was a right-wing confection as well you know it was the daily mail and the telegraph and the times that and the sun that really ran with this and they were all leave it's papers. also i also feel like there's the support for this came from people who are themselves quite abstracted from material, like like the material reality that people exist in. Like giving money to the NHS is like it's an abstract thing to do because you don't, yeah, re- like you give money to the NHS and it doesn't doesn't it doesn't go into like the you know the pocket of a nurse because that's that's not how the NHS functions. Mm-hmm. But, I, I have no idea where the, those don- donations go. I genuinely yeah, don't. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's essentially it's like it's not used for like day to day spending. Okay. It's used for it's, 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 it's like used for like NHS stuff, but not. It doesn't like the yeah, specifically doesn't go into the pockets of a nurse. Wasn't yeah, that like, right. wasn't like vending machines or something? Uh, I don't know. I don't know the exact. There's specifics. all sorts of there's all sorts of ancillary ways that NHS spending works, yeah. but like yeah, unless that trust was being taxed one hundred percent. Then there's no way that any of that money was actually able to be fully and capably spent on the NHS, and that's yeah. and that's why like so the sort of distinction to my eyes is that it is abstracted from material need of the people working in the NHS and the people who use the NHS, whereas Marcus Rashford's campaign campaigns are almost always, as far as I know, rooted in material need. Um, you know, because he grew up grew up poor, which is yeah obviously laudable. Um, and that's the like I say, that's that's the real distinction I think there is. And because younger people are more typically more more aware of uh, the material reality of living in Britain in twenty twenty one twenty twenty at the time, um, those like Marcus Rashford's campaigns are going to resonate more and. You know, yeah, but does it have a longer does it have a longer lasting impact though? Because that's you know I don't know that. That's a, I... No, it doesn't because charity can't fix structural problems. No, no, no. But yes. I mean, in in terms of purely in terms of the like the the memory of Britain, like if there is such oh, a cultural, thing, cultural memory, memory sort of thing. I think I think yeah, Captain no, Tom is no, much stronger. Because, yeah, but, but I mean, Rob, history is written by the victors. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it really is as simple as that. You know, it's. Things will like things can persist in living memory so long as they are circulated and talked about by the subjects. But things that pass out of living memory, and particularly in an age where all of our technology is geared towards shattering living memory and making us like goldfish, you know, no, nothing's going to be remembered like that. COVID and the horror of COVID might well be remembered. Nah, but 
Well, nah. I don't know, David. Nah. I don't know. I mean, nah. and then, they've uh, won that. Yeah, I, I don't think they have necessarily. And my, I was chatting. We'll see. I was chatting a little bit about all this with um, Adam from We Don't Talk About the Weather as well, and he made what I thought was a really interesting point as well is that. Um, because Britain is such a uniquely high-level um, service economy, uh, like there's not a goal most people work towards. Like we're just going round and round in hamster wheel, which and and therefore we are very profoundly alienated from our work. And that was Captain Tom physically was doing was the same sort of deadening nonsense cycle of pointless labor, but this time it had a greater societal purpose. So maybe people felt mm. better about their own mm. useless yeah, hamster wheel I can see shit. That. Because what he yeah. he was in the hamster wheel as well, but it was to a, a good end, you know, helping COVID or whatever. And it was still relatable, but it, it 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 had a greater societal point. So maybe that's what helped it along. Again, you know, credit to Adam. I uh, hope you're listening. Hi. Um, but uh, I don't. I'm I'm really fascinated by the because to me at some points it felt like the most hysterical Britain has been since Diana. Or is that too strong a point? Uh, no. Uh, you're um, wrong there, Rob, because I mean, this country's always hysterical. It, it, yeah, it wasn't <laughs> yeah. that War big. War Christmas like, comes Diana, once a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But was it... I, I thought it was bigger than War Christmas, though. Like, Well, it intersected quite horrifyingly with War Christmas, like the Captain Tom cake, etc. Yeah. At War Christmas. Mm. <laughs> well, I mean, if you want, you can, from the Royal British Legion Poppy Shop website, buy the uh. Captain Sir Tom gold-plated pin for $29.99. Um, uh. <laughs> designed, and uh, designed and approved by the Captain Tom Foundation and his family, this new poppy has 100 laser-ridged edges, symbolising <laughs> Tom's... Uh, <laughs> Tom's 100 year, 100, yeah, 100. Laser ridged edges for your pleasure. Yeah. They've invented a fucking bond weapon. <laughs> also, which I thought was particularly bleak, um, the Captain Tom Foundation uh, was also partnering with a company called Active Wills, um, which was donating 10 quid to the foundation uh, every time somebody completed a uh, easy to fill in will through their platform, which I thought was a bit disturbing. Um, <laughs> and also, David, uh, especially for you, because you know, because you're you're such a proud uh, cadet. Uh, Captain Tom's motto: <sighs> Tomorrow, oh, will, no. tomorrow will be a good day. Is also now uh, etched above the main door of the Army Foundation College at Harrogate. So as you're passing out the door, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's no. nothing quite so British as mindless optimism. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty certain that anyone that I've ever met that went to fucking Harrogate would absolutely say that that is a fucking lie. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> Tomorrow is a good day, said the Sergeant Major. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fucking hell. Tomorrow will be a good day, said the Sergeant Major, while he was bullying you to suicide, as has recordedly happened several times now in the yeah. British Army. Fuck's sake. Yeah. Anyway, um, and you can also buy Captain Tom... Captain Tom Gin, but from a different distillery than the one approved by the Captain Tom Foundation. So I'm not sure some marketing wires got got crossed there. Trouble in paradise. (laughs) Well, I mean, unless you guys have any further thoughts, I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about the Captain Tom Foundation because that sort of builds on the... No, I think think, think we've covered it. I think the only thing that remains to be said that no one actually did say is um, 
the existence of charity is a failure of the state. Like we're all pretty clear. Yes, we yes, lead on that, that point. What, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. That, I mean, yeah. that's what I was getting at with charity can't fix structural problems. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because you're treating, uh, uh, you know, um, effects, not causes, and that's always the problem. Correct. Um, anyway, so a bit about the Captain Tom Foundation, uh, which is registered on June 5, two months after uh, Captain Tom starts his first walk. Uh, there are currently three trustees. Uh, Stephen Jones, a former member of a FTSE 250 uh, co- corporation with significant fundraising experience, particularly in the corporate world. Um, yeah, I'd love to get a fucking corporate fundraiser to in to try yeah, and tackle like, the structural issues in like well, the elderly hold, hold population let's, in the UK. Let, I actually have stuff to say about this, but let's put a pin in that one. Remember that, that's an important yeah. fact we'll come back to in a minute. Rob, um, the other, the other one is his son-in-law, a guy called Colin Ingram Moore. He is the husband of the daughter. The daughter's also the CEO. Um, and he is, uh, in his daytime job, he is the head of a change management company called the Matrix Group. Uh, which, mm. among other <laughs> management consulting <laughs> they offer, is Alistair... Alistair, I was, your, I was surprised your... that I didn't activate uh, didn't activate Jamie at the mention of that name. <laughs> um, and Alistair, for just I had a look at the Matrix Group website. Among their current pushes um, for courses they offer to big corporations is mental. Is it pharmaceuticals? He- no, it's mental health first aid courses for managers. Oh, oh. Shoot, please just oh, shoot oh, me in the oh. head with a fucking gun. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Morpheus wants you to take the blue pill and practice <laughs> mindfulness meditation. <laughs> now get out of my A and E. Mental health first aid for managers, though. Fucking hell. <laughs> is that so? What, so managers receive the first aid? They know how to. Yeah. They know how to perform first aid. Like, oh, oh it appears my you're. God. It appears you're crying. Could you go to the bathroom, please, and stop crying before you come back onto the shop floor? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like that fucking uh, sign from an NHS break room. So please wipe away tears before returning to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. actually, I think that might have been an American hospital break room. But the point remains. Yeah, yeah was I mean, the, Ameri- the, the one in the American hospital break room is please deflate your fucking COVID sprayer suit before entering the workplace. <laughs> <laughs> Kindly refrain from crop dusting your co-workers and fucking colleagues. <laughs> no trees beyond this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Colin Ingram Moore was previously also the finance director for Saatchi and Saatchi, so no wonder that the PR oh. was that good, Captain Tom. Um, okay, so what's basically happened... Okay, this, this implies two different alternative hypotheses, and I'm not sure which one is right, okay? Hypothesis one, Captain Tom does this thing, it gets a little bit of attention, and his in-laws go ka and immediately calls up one of his mates, and they start on a process to make money off of this, right? That's process number one. Process number two is the family goes, do you know... We like, have this old guy I think kicking I, around, what do we do with it? We have got this old guy kicking around, and I see an opportunity here, and they set him up to do it intentionally. Um, and use their media contacts I, to get I, him the attention. I think it's I think it's option B. Oh, A, sorry. I think yeah. it's Ooh. I think it's A. I think it's it it started organically, oh, really? but once it it got a little bit of traction, it helped incredibly that there were media See, and advertising. Yeah, I'm gonna be cyn- I'm gonna be cynical and say it was option B. I'm gonna I'm gonna go well, for option C and that it was it was B, but it was actually Tom's idea. 
<laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> like, my, sight unseen, my thinking was that what had happened was once he got in the papers, some management consultant fuck, you know, kind of in my profession but evil, basically went, oh, I see an opportunity here, and got in touch with the family and said, do you know you could you could do something with this? But uh, well, it I actually mean, being I mean, the family makes it even 100, funnier. One hundred thousand percent nailed on that that like that happens the second they get in the papers for something good. But they like oh, yeah, yeah, but it's you, just you get a, if you've got you if you've got someone you. if you've got like someone of that caliber of fucking cunt in your family, <laughs> like they're obviously going to ring you yeah. like the second they hear about it. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. But I mean, the, 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 the fact that this guy may be a cunt is like, if you go through his Twitter profile, uh, he does have one, um, there's a lot I mean, about... I mean, like, didn't you say he works in PR? Yeah. Well, then there's no might be about it, is there? The, he, yeah. um, uh, like, he's very fun, fond about posting about fancy hotels, cricket, and golf. So, you know, yep. it's 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 very, like, even for me, and I'm an upper-middle-class bougie twat, is like, he, it gives um, me a is, fucking toothache. Is he trying not to come? <laughs> <laughs> uh probably yeah i can't um, think of any other reason why you would you would like think about cricket and golf you know what i mean uh well <laughs> he, he, and, and according to uh colin ingram moore's uh, linkedin page which i also read uh he has also developed a reputation in build to rent student and over 55 accommodation by matching oh. <sighs> who hasn't yeah. do you know what i mean we're the only five fucking cunts in this nation that haven't done that at this point <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the wheel turns on another day. Uh, another fucking landlord is behind a cynical PR stunt. Yeah. Anyway, so the last trustee is a, a solicitor from Milton Keynes about whom I couldn't find out much. But I do want to spend briefly talking about the CEO. I think she's the CEO. She's at least sort of in charge of the daily thing. Uh, she's Hannah Ingram Moore. Uh, she's the daughter of Captain Tom. And um, according to the strategy vision, which we've read for this podcast, uh, which is 17 yeah, slides long. thanks for that, by the way, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> um, she was quote unquote an integral part of the world's greatest philanthropic lightning strike that was her father raising money um, mm. so I've spent quite a bit of time looking at this foundation and it's in- outlook is incredibly she, uh, what, what kind of integral part are we talking about here did she pilot the Captain Tom mech or something <laughs> <laughs> No, it's like if you dig into this, um, uh, and the more photos you see of Captain Tom, she's all like, she's in there a lot, like lurking in the background. Like I think she was very, very important to crafting the Tolpa, like the public perception and the media profile. Like that went way beyond her her dad himself. I think she was incredibly either good at or they just struck it exactly the right way. You know, like I don't really know that, but. From I mean, every, the people, the people that were fucking like facilitating this outside of the family, were not going to be talking directly to Captain Tom most of the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, like I mean, he for, had naps to have. He was old as fuck. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, from from all the documents, like it, 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 it appears to me at least to be very clear that the immediate family, and especially this this daughter Hannah Ingram Moore, is very much in day-to-day control and probably also you know in in terms of actual board control of the the foundation because it's the foundation itself the foundation itself and the outlook has an incredibly as you would expect from a very upper middle class uh uh, quite wealthy family because there's shots of their home and stuff as well um it's incredibly uh neoliberal and it reminded me of nothing so much as like uh david cameron's you know the big society thing you know the government's not going to do anything, but there's going to be charities, and and they'll care take care of the the thing for you. 
Um, and before they launched their own sort of stated goals, which we'll get to in a second, they've spent a lot of the money they got in the first year of their existence, um, like not deve- apart from taking their own management fees. And I don't know how much that is. And I don't want to speculate too much on that. Um, but like they spent most of their money giving it to other charities like the Royal British Legion, Mind, uh, some NHS trusts, and like some of those things, apart from the Royal British Legion, are fine charities and nothing against them. But it struck me as incredibly like sort of big society and neoliberal as very hollow, like it's sort of a, a management consultant as a charity where they just take your money, take a cut, and then give it to another charity rather than, you know... I mean, they did spend their time developing their own strategy in the meantime, but it just, it struck me as very hollow and very weird. Um, I mean, again, though, that that kind of, I can understand where they've come from with that, because a a charity founded on the idea of raising funds for an organisation in which you cannot raise funds for unless you are literally the government, it makes sense that they just farm it off to other charities to kind of, right, you know what you're doing with this money, you've got a clue. Right. So, it, but that's changed now because, um, as I mentioned at oh, the beginning, um, you know, they mysteriously found a present from Captain Tom right before the Christmas break that was that put them back in all the papers and put um, Hannah Ingram Moore back on the BBC breakfast sofa. So now they have a stated purpose and a goal, and their vision, uh, their vision goal is now to help to crush dissent. No, it's to help the over 65 live better lives and relieve old age loneliness. Um, and crush dissent. <laughs> <laughs> and the way, the, the way whether or not they're successful, they will measure through policy development, multi-generational education, purposeful living, whatever the fuck that is, and, and mm. you know, if you like your neoliberalism, check this one out, helping the elderly le- navigate a digital world. Purposeful living means not sitting on your ass and occupying yourself with a different type of meaningless task like walking around the garden. Purposeful <laughs> living means not fucking complaining about your landlord, like, giving you a shit, like, box that you can barely squeeze into and calling it a student flat. That's what that means. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, you know, When they talk I, about we're going to try and enact policy, they're going to enact policy for landlords to sell smaller boxes and call them student flats. <laughs> Do you know, I've been, I've been on a, a voyage and journey of self-discovery and growth over this lockdown period, right? Why? And genuine, you could have just sat around well, your fucking pants doing now. See, Jamie, you're getting a, you're getting ahead of me, right? You're getting ahead of me because because I've spent my whole life like feeling I have to be doing something to kind of justify myself, right? That's how I've genuinely felt for a very very long time, and I've finally kind of come to the conclusion that actually no, no, you're a la- like the purpose of life can simply be to sit on the fucking couch and watch Seinfeld or whatever the fuck it is you do with your life, right? Not you specifically, Jamie. I know you got better taste than that, but like, um, <laughs> like this is. Yeah, I only watch Frasier. Of- <laughs> <laughs> well, la di da, Mister. Can you imagine? Can you imagine me watching Fraser? Do you know what I mean? Like just sitting, like I actually they're, they're, can. They're talking about like fucking Chardonnay or some shit, and I'm just sat there going like, ah, wine. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, you've successfully identified the entire audience for Fraser. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Sorry, should I at you next time? Oh, we're, we're learning a lot here. 
Uh, does it explain a lot to know that growing up I used to watch Frasier on Channel 4 every Friday night? I've never watched an episode um, of Frasier and I do not care to. Um, well, I mean, I've just outed myself. But anyway, like my point is, like, you know, this whole idea that you need to have purposeful living, it's like, no. Nah. The purpose of your living can simply just be living. Like, that's okay. It's allowed. You're allowed to come up with things you want to do. You're allowed to come up with purposes you want to achieve. You're allowed to come up with action and things you, you want. But that's not the same thing as saying that you have to give your life a purpose for your life to have meaning. And this kind of shit annoys me when I hear it because so many people just swallow this shit wholesale. Yeah, that's and they feel like I they have am, to have a purpose. That's a trick that the government invented. Do you know what yeah, I mean? It's, it's, it literally, it's that. It's, it literally is, Jamie. Yeah, it literally is, you're right. It's all those pricks where it's like, oh, don't, don't ask what you can do for your country. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, you should, you should take like, you should take fucking Dave Mustaine from Megadeth's advice and ask what your country can do for you. my journey towards that was quite different and that i was just really bad at things and then stopped trying to do any of them and then nothing bad happened yeah (laughs) being in trouble you can just leave yeah you can (laughs) hit the bricks you can hit the bricks Yes. Words to live by. See, I, I'm just a middle class twat, so I was assumed that I had worth from day, day one. I didn't, nobody had to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> See, that explains. I have a theory. Do you want to hear my greater theory of Rob? I'm picturing, I'm picturing Rob working in a kitchen and like his, his co workers complaining about like the, the standards. Like, you know what I mean? And Rob going, well, why don't you just leave? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Hit the bricks. Yeah. 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 Like, my greater theory of Rob is that. To fuck around with food on small plates like Rob does, you have to have some kind of unshakable confidence in just the right order of heaven and your place within yeah. it, essentially. <laughs> that, that's kind of, I think you just have to be born like that. You just have to be like, yes, this world is made for me, and there's, you know, therefore I can eat off small plates, and that's absolutely imagine fine. What no a, matter imagine what, they what say. a cunt I would have been had I gone to public school. Yeah, well, so here's the thing, Rob. I, 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 if I had that element of you in myself, then I would get so much fucking work done. It's unreal. <laughs> now, conversely, actually, you don't get any work done because you're already convinced of your own self-worth, so you don't need to work. It's, it's actually quite detrimental in the long run. Oh, See, I, I know I'm a piece of shit, so I don't do any work anyway. <laughs> are, you, are you saying that I'm perfectly balanced between the two like extremes yes. of know that I'm perfect and don't need to improve, yes. and actually I'm a piece of shit and there's no yes. point in doing anything? Is that yes. it? <laughs> <laughs> You have mastered oh, the art of Zen. <laughs> <laughs> they have the stated vision goals, which and like to help the elderly navigate a digital world. So there's a lot of images of like old people like being smooth on like uh, MacBook Airs and stuff like that. Oh my god, old people in the metaverse. <laughs> it's like excuse me, old people being smooth. No yeah. word, no word of a lie. Like fucking, if you could, if you could explain to an old person how to plug in a fucking VR headset and operate it, they would probably be much fucking better at online using like using the metaverse than they would with fucking like websites. <laughs> um. Oh, that's, that's so, yeah. probably that's probably the one the one use case for the metaverse. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's, just, I mean, it's, it's that be... Walmart video, except yeah. it's just an old woman talking to the fucking virtual assistant for hours. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, you might you might be onto something there. I remember old story. My dad did a computing training course right after he retired because um, he wanted to understand this whole computers thing, right? And he told me how he went along to the first session of a local kind of community college. And um, 
you know, start and we're like, okay, it's dead simple. It's point and click. And promptly he and most of the people in the room picked up the mouse and pointed at the screen and tried to click it. <sighs> yeah. Right? And that's that is an old joke, but it's, it happens to be true. So actually, in the metaverse, you literally do point and click. So you might be right, Jamie. That might be the solution. <laughs> that is the one use case. <laughs> a room full of old people pointing at a screen and doing the soy face. Fucking. I used to. Mark Zuckerberg becoming the boy god king of the elderly is like a strange <laughs> twist for 2022. Yeah. But I'm here for yeah, it. I yeah, I used to have. I used to actually. I used to actually teach like elderly people how to use computers. So like, I know I'm right about that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. For once, you for truly once, have walked through hell. I'm actually calling on data there rather than just, you know what I mean? Throwing fucking darts. What's, what, does, what does Star Trek have to do with this? But yeah, so anyway, so um, I'm very happy to report that um, at least. A- <laughs> Fuck off. Uh, <laughs> Alright, I'm going to try to drag us back on point briefly and then we can finish up on some uh, comment or commentary. Um, yes, please. Oh, so, fucking uh, hoorah. According to the strategy <laughs> vision uh, document, uh, one of the most important things that they had to do was to find a figurehead. Uh, let me read from the document. Oh, my God. Slide. Is that Mr. Blobby's entrance music I hear? <laughs> <laughs> uh, figurehead is the face and voice of the Captain Tom Foundation, leading on charity profile, major acquisition and influencing, and continuously raising the profile. Um, that was some GCSE like English presentation ass shit. Yeah. That, like <laughs> yeah, Webster's yeah, yeah. dictionary defines. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but I'm pleased to report that uh, they have found one, and it's uh, Esther Ranson. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Who, by the way, I did not know this before, but did you know that um, she lost a by-election badly enough to lose her deposit in 2010 against Gavin Shuker? <laughs> Christ alive. <laughs> oh, oh, in fairness, Gavin Shuker had that one locked down for, like, a series of reasons that we won't go into. Esther Ranson is just like a British institution because of vegetables shaped like knobs and childline. <laughs> But yeah, this whole Captain Tom Foundation is incredibly, like, it feels very synthetic to me. Like, it's staffed and run and project managed through all these weird upper middle class management consultants. And that's, to me, like, no wonder they didn't think there was anything weird to it, to doing, like, that really weird, like, off Captain Tom branded cocktail drink. Because if you're that kind of person, you're, you're looking actively for the corporate sponsor to, you know... To help you, and let me read again from the slides, to lead on a on the broad issue of an aging global population to create and effect systemic change, to be global in scope, harnessing the power of our loyal audience. Now, like, it's such weird, like, it, you know, it's... It's Grift Britain. It's Grift Britain. I'm That's not even it. Sure That's all we've got left is grifting. I'm not even sure if it's no, grifting. But he, no, here's the thing, though. None of that sounds outside the realms of normality for how charities are run. Yeah. Like, this is just how charities work now. It's just middle fucking, middle class, upper management types. That's what they, That's what charities are. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going off on something here. So obviously people know I got involved in the Scottish Greens. Did you? Right. Yes. Now, <laughs> it may have come I'm, up. Oh, my God. See Let it go. <laughs> not, not everyone in our audience. Like, we, if we're growing the pod, people won't know. We will let it go when you let the party go. <laughs> uh, ask me after me anyway um no for for real right so 
when I joined the Scottish Greens, like my my class background, obviously I'm middle class, right? But I'm a weird kind of middle class because I wasn't, I didn't have prospects or anything because of the life path I'd kind of taken, and things weren't, you know, I, I didn't have like a career or anything. Nah, you fucked it, middle class. Ah, yeah, the fucked it, middle class. You're, right? you're dark universe, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah let's let's go with that just We're all looking wild looking wildly at the rest of the podcast members apart from rob going yeah let, let's go with that <laughs> anyway um but so so i joined the scottish greens and it was very interesting to me because even even among comrades like actual left people the scottish greens have a lot of kind of middle class professional managerialness to them yeah they're right? greens yeah and when I started sort of pitching in and doing well and showing some talent and stuff, people came out the woodwork to try and get me nice middle-class jobs. It was very revelatory. It was eye-opening to me, right? Um, I'll never forget, I, I won't name them, but there was someone who I worked quite closely with, um, you know, even including the time I was briefly employed by the Scottish Greens, worked quite closely with them. And they they just were like, yeah, we, you should get a job in the arts sector. And I'm like, yeah. And it's like, yeah. And... You know, they'd come from like a working class background and had basically managed to get themselves on the middle class grifting gravy train. And they were like, you know, let's get you on as well. And I wasn't keen on it. I didn't want to go down that route. But then there were others who like, you know, they'd done a little bit in politics, but then gone into the charity sector. Yeah. Lots of them in the charity sector. And what I slowly realised about the charity sector is the charity sector is a grift. It's a very particular kind of grift. It is... Come to do good, but stay to do well. It's probably it's probably a very lazy lazy man's grift because like you you one thing one thing about charity is you're beyond reproach. Do you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. Yeah, almost always. Yeah, I mean the the thing with that is as well, it, it's almost um, it's almost triangle shaped in its hierarchy, and that many people, mm-hmm. a small number of people at the top, can absolutely just fucking lean back and rake it in. But then you've got a load of actual, genuine, yeah. well-meaning people who will go out and do the hoof work for you. Do you know what and else? Do you what know what else of... is triangle shaped? <laughs> <laughs> Christmas trees, by any chance? Tree threats the reaper. <laughs> <laughs> I can smell a new T-shirt. <laughs> but but here's for like the thing about it is it's like it, it's a very particular kind of grift where it's like you know. Um, the problems never go away, and if you actually solve the problems, then you'd be out of a job, right? So the job is to sit back and just kind of do enough to sound like yeah, you're doing I'm, good I'm not, and take people's money no, in off the of, off of back I'm of not, it. And I, I don't agree with that. I think what happens more is like it's not personally or actively malevolent, malevolent or like leaning back and just sort of be, you know just sitting there with a big bag of pounds going, haha, mine now. It's more like, it's like any structure or organization, uh, you know, it's like people, even well-meaning people who become MPs. If you are high enough in charities, well, you interact with the higher rungs of society. And, you see, know. I just, I, I just want to say as well, I, I don't think that, like, I think when you said that, oh, I don't agree with that, that was the most redundant thing you've ever said. We could tell you didn't agree with that because of the <laughs> middle-class noises you were making before you said it. <laughs> It's one of those ones where I think I I think that the kind of the the truth in the middle of both of your points, if you will, is well, that it's we it's boys we found a centrist. Get him, not yeah. active. <laughs> no, but it's passive, not active. Yeah, 
in no, which case actually, he's sorry. David, not David done, is the I'm military wing of Change UK. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. But no, I, here's the thing, I'm not done talking well because like David's correct, it is a pyramid and the people on the lower bottom of the charities are not tend to not be the middle class ones who are doing quite well. But the senior positions, the positions where you have to write the cover letter to apply and all this kind of shit. They're fucking guarded by middle class. Like you, yeah, you've got true. to be this middle class to join. Yeah, that's that's. And true. this is what I'm talking about. This is the grift. It's not the whole operation because there's a lot of people like there's a lot of people doing it for a job at the lower end. Let's be real, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you get a little bit up, and there's people who are doing it because they want to make a difference, etc. Um, but then you get far enough up, and it's like, no, this is a reserved occupation for the middle class. No, to you know, the people who it, I've met really high up in any charity. Um, and through my old job, I've met quite a few. They do like, they are all still committed to like doing positive things and changing the world. They've just really, like, they've just been wrapped up in the higher echelons of you know upper middle class to elite society. You know, they've just interacted yeah. too much uh, yeah. with power, I, so they're not. Yeah, and, and and they'll still they'll still take on all the benefits of such. But like I say, it's passive, with some not active. They're not there for the grift of that, but they no, are. No, they still well, want you know, to see good. It. They've just convinced themselves. It's like yeah. it's like liberals. They've just convinced themselves that this is the world we live in, and the only change that can happen is the stuff around the margins. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fair to say that charity is a form of liberalism. Yeah, it is. And mm. yeah, you know, you can never get a man to understand what his salary depends on him not understanding, sort mm. of thing. Like mm. it, it's it's that. So. Yeah, so this this whole Captain Tom thing reeks of this, except it's being manufactured and set up. If you're wondering what their greatest achievement was, by the way, and then we'll stop talking about it and move on to comment or commentariat, is the biggest thing they did last year was the CT100, I think it's called, where people, individuals, oh. could challenge themselves to do 100 of X of a thing to raise money for charities. Now, again, some of the individuals doing it were look like lovely people who were doing something very nice for very worthy causes so i'm not going to shit on them the only one that i wanted to pick out it was was so fucking bizarre and because we did talk about it on an old older episode which was um dame judy dench filming herself eating 100 maltesers from a bowl yeah D- okay. which was if you remember we talked about that on an old episode so like i like yeah this is this is the skydiving thing like yes Fuck mm-hmm. off! Yeah. I can do that. I will do that. I have, I done have that. often done this. <laughs> yeah. I am going. I, sponsor me to have a hundred wanks, kind of thing. Basically, <laughs> uh, you see, you want to read. You, you need to like lean into the the sort of like nationalist aspects to have a hundred wanks on the flag. <laughs> <laughs> now that would be that would be disrespectful. Is have a hundred wanks while looking at the flag. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, right? A hundred Maltesers to a hundred wanks, like something in the exchange rate here is off. Yeah. Either you're really enjoying Maltesers or not enjoying a wank enough. Just, do you know what I'm I mean? Gonna, right, I'm going to be... Someone get, someone get you a big box of Maltesers for Christmas and like two weeks later you've like turned into a pillar of salt, by God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also going to say, David, you're saying yeah, Eva, you're not, you're really enjoying your Maltesers, or you're not enjoying enjoying your wanks. I'm going to assume that around about wank thirty, you're basically just cranking them out at that point, right? Oh. <laughs> yeah, you just you're just going through the motions at that point. All right. Well, and on that positive note, shall we play a very special round of Commodore commentary out this week? Why is it a special round? 
Uh, because it's in collaboration uh, with Mick Wright uh, at Broken Bottle Boy, oh, who, no. uh, who very kindly agreed to lend me some of his great content. Uh, subscribe to his newsletter. <laughs> we'll put a link in the show notes, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Comment or commentary at sponsored by Mick uh, Wright. This time, yes, yeah, sponsored by Mick Wright. Because, um, I don't know, I, I subscribed to the newsletter. And he did a thing towards the end of the year. He did uh, his top 10 list of the worst columns written in the UK this year. Oh, no. So, so Rob, is this like, is this like you know, it's not just a gin cocktail it's a gin cocktail with a very specific brand of gin is this it's not just comment a commentary it's comment a commentary with a very specific brand of brain poison it's like it's more uncut commentary it's more like you you know industry strength commentary um, <laughs> brendan uh, o'neill presents comment a commentary <laughs> Um, so what I've done is from the... <laughs> a huge golden forehead for the winner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what I've done is, out of the ten uh, worst columns as selected by Mick, I've selected five bits. So they're all commentary, but I'm wondering if you may be able to guess who actually wrote it this time. Because we okay, it, it features a lot of um, <laughs> uh, familiar faces. Anyway, round one. <clears throat> the youngest victim, victim in the Epstein-Maxwell scandal was 14 and most were in the mid to late teens, which makes me wonder, at what age does someone move from child victim status to a, to a person who is responsible for their own actions? When she was 15, oh, Greta yeah. Thunberg began school strikes oh. and public speeches, which made her an interne- internationally recognized climate activist. This is making my skin... <laughs> is this Little John? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, is this Little John? And it, just, it sounds like Little John. It's not Richard Little John. It's uh, Jan Moyer writing in the Daily Mail. Uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, all right, round two. I hate... Yeah, fuck, fuck David and Alistair. They don't get... They don't get uh... <laughs> did, did the tree that killed uh, Captain Tom write that article? <laughs> anyway, uh, round two. I hate banging out column after column, wanging on about nothing on the radio for hours. Oh, is this uh, is this Charles Corrin? Yes, it's Charles Corrin. <laughs> 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 oh, fuck it. Uh, Alistair, you have gazed too long into me at this. This is um, this is this is turn. We'll, we'll be fucking. We'll be done in record time here. Yeah, this is turning out to be a fucking banger of an idea. <laughs> it's, it's it's not quite. It's not quite at guess the press levels, but like it's up there. You know. What I mean? <laughs> um. All right. Round. F- round three um rap hip-hop grime and drill are being espoused by schools youth workers parole officers and inevitably prison (laughs) officers as a cogent expressions of of a wonderfully vibrant community comparable perhaps in artistic merit to merit to those old racists beethoven and beethoven and mozart when in fact it is quite often merely an expression of unrelieved coarseness and criminality oof Oh wow! Fuck this up. is your dad. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but what's his name? It is your dad. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. It could be fuck. It could be any cunt, couldn't it? You know what it I mean? Could, it could be any cunt. Um, is it Toby Young? It's not Toby Young. Actually, it's not self-pitying enough to be Toby Young. Nope. Sarah Vine. Close, but no. Close. Oh, I like. Okay. Sarah, uh, Sarah Pine. Pine. <laughs> Who? <laughs> <laughs> the wife of the tree. Who's who's the male Sarah Vine? Uh, Michael Gove. Nope. <laughs> not anymore. It's uh, Rod Little writing in the Spectator. Oh, uh, I'm surprised the first one wasn't Rod Little. All right, round four. Um, let's see where do we start. Uh, 
This Christmas, it's a bit of a longer one. This Christmas, if the Archangel Chris Whitty hasn't cancelled the festive season, caution, oh. there will be a COVID Is this swear box. There will be a COVID swear box in my house. Is it Brendan? It's not Brendan. No. Oh, fuck. Our name's going. Our name's going. Anyone who mentions the wretched... Is it it Orkshot? Nope. Anyone who mentions the wretched virus must post 50p in a jar. All proceeds go to the Salvation Army, whose magnificent mission is based on faith in Jesus Christ, who want everyone to live, experience their life in all its fullness. Uh, This better not be from fucking conservative woman. No, it's not. (laughs) It's from the Telegraph. It's from the Telegraph. What's the name of Michael Gove's wife again? It's Sarah Vine. Her ex-wife Sarah Vine. Isn't don't ooh, tell the old okay. don't tell the old misery guts by which she means Jesus Christ uh, about Sage. Those scientists would crucify that Jesus what? chappy for dither and delay in imposing curbs on social gatherings. As Omic- I'm sorry, is this is this person had a stroke mid fucking article? What the fuck are they <laughs> actually talking about? The Omicron- Does this person think Jesus was in charge of public health? Yes. <laughs> and who is in the Telegraph and hates everything to do with public health and Omic- and the Telegraph? I, I can't fucking remember her name. I just I've just googled UK columnist who lost her mind about COVID, but it's not giving me the result that it's I want. It's Alison Pearson. That's the fucker. Stop. All right, so this is the last last round, and this is uh, uh, mix number one, by the way. <laughs> Bin Laden was an ideological magpie, always seeking the on-trend woke concern. Uh, is Brendan? Brendan? <laughs> Brendan, 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 Brendan. Uh, the more you read, the only little, one. No. If, if it's Brendan, oh. and we ask you if it's Brendan, you, you legally you have to tell us. <laughs> only, only one head can fit that crown. Yeah, I'm afraid to tell you, but the more of this that you read, the longer this podcast gets. <laughs> <laughs> Long is the head that wears the crown. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. That is Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> just had, just all I needed was woke Osama bin Laden. To yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very like, you know, Brendan has got a very particular set of skills, and it includes wearing a hat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, uh, I don't know, welcome to a new year of podcasting as practices, where we start as we mean to go on with <laughs> New Year, same shit. <laughs> new Year, same forehead. It's, <laughs> we're back, baby. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. All right, okay. Um, right, I suppose on that note then, we'll do the plugs, shall we? So, we have, uh, let's start with the streaming. We are streaming on Monday and Thursday nights. Um, some of those not, but... Figure it out, watch it as well. Um, that's twitch.tv forward slash praxiscast. We have a Patreon, which you should subscribe to for bonus episodes. You'll get early access to the Black Thoughts episodes that James does. And you'll also get at least one premium episode yeah. from all of us. And we um, put a, a mega ton of content on there over the Christmas break to keep everybody happy. So oh, now God, is a good time to subscribe. Yeah, there's a fair Always backlog. a good time to subscribe. Um, if you want to know what the premium stuff is like, it's like this, but slightly better. Um, an example of which is on the... Uh, the jury is still out on that stuff. <laughs> an example of which has been unlocked last week on the free feed, so you've probably already listened to that um, on our episode about uh, Prince Andrew's other friend with Riley from Trash Future. 
and uh, buy t-shirts. You can buy t-shirts. They are at teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash PraxisCast. All the links for this will be in the show description. By the time this episode comes out, we'll have stickers. Oh yeah, that's true. What's the stickers over oh, again? Oh yes. <laughs> uh, well, there's obviously there's a normal island one because that was incredibly easy to do. And um, <laughs> there's there's the new there's a new a new sticker for the Ajax. Yeah. <laughs> and how how did how did this sticker come about? Uh, it came to me in a dream. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't a joke. He literally did dream it. So. Yeah. If, if nothing else, um, please go look on our, our, our store and just go see the sticker that Jamie came yeah, up with that came to him in a dream. amazing. It, I'm, I, <laughs> I've stared at it for quite a while. Um, anyway, so I think that'll do it for us, doesn't it? Or do we have any... Yeah, uh, follow Mick uh, at Broken Bottle Boy uh, and get his newsletter, which is very good. Yes, yes, do that. Um, you can thank him for the cost of content which you had to hear right there. All right. We'll catch his later trips. Bye. Bye bye. Bye. Cheerio. See you. Bye bye.